You're listening to a Sovereign Hope Church podcast with pastor and teaching elder Adam Vinson. And we're going to be in Genesis chapter 25 today. Um, we're coming to the end of Abraham's life, um, transitioning into um, the life of Isaac, and then ultimately what we see with um, Joseph. We're going to cover the first part of Genesis chapter 25 today as we um, observe Abraham's funeral and the final arrangements that he makes in his life. Um, So we'll start reading in verse 1. It says, Abraham took another wife whose name was Keturah. She bore him Zimran, Jokshan, Medan, Midian, Ishbak, and Shuha. Jokshan fathered Sheba and Dedan. The sons of Dedan were Asherim, Letushim, and Leumimim. The sons of Midian were Ephah, Epher, Hanak, Abida, and Elde, and all these were the children of Keturah. That's the only time we're going to read that today. So, um, Abraham gave all he had to Isaac, but to the sons of his concubines, Abraham gave gifts. And while he was still living, he sent them away from his son Isaac eastward to the east country. These are the days of the years of Abraham's life, 175 years. Abraham breathed his last and died in a good old age an old man and full of years, and was gathered to his people. Isaac and Ishmael, his sons, buried him in the cave of Machpelah in the field of Ephron, the son of Zohar the Hittite, east of Mamre, the field that Abraham purchased from the Hittites. There Abraham was buried with Sarah, his wife. After the death of Abraham, God blessed Isaac, his son, and Isaac settled at Be'er Leharoi. These are the generations of Ishmael, Abraham's son, whom Hagar the Egyptian, Sarah's servant, bore to Abraham. These are the names of the sons of Ishmael, named in the order of their birth. Naboth, the firstborn of Ishmael, and Kedar, Adbil, Mibsam, Mishma, Duma, Mesa, Hadad, Tima, Jatur, Nafish, and Kadima. These are the sons of Ishmael, and these are their names by their villages and by their encampments, twelve princes according to their tribes. These are the years of the life of Ishmael, 137 years. He breathed his last and died and was gathered to his people. They settled from Havilah to Shur, which is opposite Egypt in the direction of Assyria. He settled over against all his kinsmen. Throw up our um, notes for us on the the TV real quick. Um, Kind of a a difficult passage in um, evaluating why God has put this here with so much detail. Um, I think there's some specific reasons for that that I want to share with you this morning. Um, So let me get our notes up here. First of all, You've heard us say several times today the idea of God not changing um, and taking over teaching Bible this week at Trinity for one of the sixth grade classes. We've been memorizing James chapter 1 and the kids are memorizing verse 17 this week and it says every good gift and every perfect gift is from above coming down from the father of lights with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. This verse emphasizes God's goodness. It emphasizes the fact that God doesn't change. It's set in the context of temptation and how we're to understand that that God doesn't tempt man, that God brings us through trials. Um, And so nothing evil comes from God to us. Um, Instead, every good gift and every perfect gift is from above. Um, And and I share that with you this morning to to introduce our our last sermon on Abraham, because as we leave Abraham's life, I think it's important for us to remember that the way that God was interacting and working with Abraham is the same for us today, that God hasn't changed that. 
um, that God was good to Abraham. God worked in his life. Uh, God responded to Abraham's faith. And he does the same for us today in the New Testament. He's a God who does not change. There's no variation. There's no shadow due to change with him. He's a good God who has good intent and perfect good gifts for um, his children. And so that brings us to our discussion on Abraham today, um, kind of wrapping up his life. Um, some introductory notes to uh, to get us started. First, let me share the summary sentence with us. The summary sentence for today. A believer dies satisfied in the promises of God when he has lived a life of faith that is demonstrated by works while intentionally seeking to pass his faith on to the next generation to ensure that God's plan will continue in his absence. A lot of different things going on there. A believer dies satisfied. We're going to see that the text emphasizes Abraham's death but does so from a satisfaction standpoint. That Abraham dies, yes, he's, he's subjected to the, the consequences of sin, just as Adam and Eve were leaving the Garden of Eden. Uh, but Abraham dies in a satisfied state. Um, and he does so because he's clinging to the promises of God. He's lived a life of faith, um, but not just claiming to believe certain things about God. It's been demonstrated by works in his life. And then rather than keeping those things to himself, he's intentionally sought to pass his faith on to the next generation. Um, Abraham recognizes that he's not going to be there when the Israelites possess the land. God communicated that to him. And so Abraham takes uh, intentional steps to make sure that his generation after him is prepared to cling to the same promises that he's been clinging to. Um, and he does it in such a way that, that he wants his uh, his child Isaac to then pass on to his son Jacob. Um, so a lot of different things going on there in our summary sentence that we're going we're gonna to hit today. Um, these are the things that I want us to kind of take with us and remember from Abraham's life. He dies satisfied. He dies clinging to the promises of God. Um, he died living a life of faith, a faith life that was demonstrated by works. And then Abraham was very intentional to pass that faith on to the next generation. Um, to ensure that God's plan will continue in his absence. That could have been disastrous. All right, some introductory notes. Everybody got that? If not, we'll come back to it at the end and I'll post it. Um, at Abraham's death, kind of interesting to look back and see who's still alive. Shem has only been dead for 20 years. Shem who comes off the ark. Okay, so there are other godly people that are on the earth at Abraham's time. Sometimes we... We talked about how we disconnect and we, we see the stories playing out and we think that when this story ends in Scripture, that the next one picks up right there. And there's a lot of overlap. Shem's only been dead for 20 years. And in fact, Eber, who's a descendant of Shem, who the name for the Hebrew people comes from, is 460 years old at the time when Abraham dies. So he actually outlives Abraham. Isaac is 75 years old. When Abraham dies and Jacob and Esau are 15 years old. So while we're going to see Abraham die in this passage and then we're going to pick up next or two weeks from now with uh, the birth of Jacob and Esau and how Isaac has to pray for Rebecca and her barren womb to yield children. Um, before Abraham actually dies, Jacob and Esau are born and they're in their teens, uh, probably real close to the same age as when Ishmael was ha was pushed away by Abraham when Isaac was born. OK, so. Not only has Abraham invested in Isaac and ensured that he continues to hold to God's promises, he's also around long enough to see Isaac starting 
starting to invest in his own uh, children as well. So just kind of wanted to share that with you so you see how that overlaps. It's interesting to see here at the beginning of the passage that Abraham's taking another wife. Um, there's a lot of speculation here as to whether or not this happens after Sarah's death or actually before Sarah's death. Um, did Abraham marry Keturah before or after her death? If Abraham married Keturah after Sarah's death, um, does it minimize the miracle of Isaac if he goes on to have a lot more sons? Remember, we talked about his body being as good as dead, and God has to supernaturally come in and give him the ability to have children. Is Isaac's birth minimized or the miraculous aspect of it minimized if we now see Abraham marrying again and having more children? Um, is it valid to see Abraham marrying Keturah before Sarah dies? Um, would he have taken another woman? We see the, the, the misstep with Hagar um, and how Sarah is very jealous over that interaction and wants her gone. Um, so it's hard to, to see how Keturah could fit in there based on how that interaction had played out. So I tend to think that it actually plays out the way that the text seems to lay it out, that Abraham takes a wife after Sarah's death. Um, but you remember how we talked about Sarah continuing to thrive from a, from a physical standpoint and her beauty and how she was still attractive. Um, a lot of commentators believe that when God is supernaturally, uh, bringing their bodies to life so that they can have children, that that just continued to be the case after the fact. Um, and so it seems that Abraham continues to have that ability to have children. God continues to fulfill promises about him having numerous descendants. Um, and these kids are going to end up growing into nations as well. And so the promise that Abraham's going to father many nations, not just the Israelite nation, is fulfilled here, I think, by God continuing to let him have children. And so he takes this other wife in his old age. Um, and if they are married after Sarah's death, they still end up being married for 35 to 38 years. This isn't a situation where you have an old man taking a woman and marrying her and spending two to three years with her before he dies himself. They end up spending several decades together. Um, and he seems to love her and seems to love her kids. They're his kids as well. Um, and he ends up passing on some things to them um, as well. But I think the focus of the passage, the focus of the text is for us to see God's promises being fulfilled. It's as though Moses, before jumping into the story of Isaac and Jacob and Joseph, wants to remind us of God's faithfulness, that he doesn't change, and he keeps his promises. And so I think the way that the, the text is even laid out, it highlights God's fulfillment of his promises. So I really want to focus on that um, together today as we look through the text. In your notes, if you're keeping notes, first of all, God keeps his promises to Abraham until the very end. God keeps his promises to Abraham until the very end. When we see uh, his death here in this chapter, we see his death being framed with genealogies on both sides. Okay, so prior to his death, we see Abraham taking another wife and we see these kids. Um, and then after his death is listed, we see the generations of Ishmael and his children. Both sides of his death in the text are framed with genealogies. I mean, this shows God's continued blessing. That it's not just the gift of Isaac, it's the gift of offspring that has been given to Abraham. Offspring that will grow into nations. Um, and so I think Moses wants to highlight that fulfillment of God's promises here in the passage. Um, Abraham ends up having six, six more sons born to him by this other wife. Um, and then Ishmael is blessed with 12 sons according to the text. And so we see a promise being kept here that the offspring of Abraham would be numerous, 
that he would father many nations and that Ishmael would produce 12 rulers. You'll remember in Genesis 17, 20, just a couple of chapters back where we were talking about Abraham and um, Hagar. In Genesis chapter 17, verse 20. It says, um, as for Ishmael, I have heard you. Behold, I have blessed him and will make him fruitful and multiply him greatly. He shall father 12 princes and I will make him into a great nation. But I will establish my covenant with Isaac, whom Sarah shall bear to you at this time next year. So as Abraham is getting ready to send off Hagar and Ishmael, God is comforting him and he's telling him promises, not just for Isaac, not just that Ishmael is um, is going to have to be set free and set and, and released and let go because of the fact that he's a threat. Isaac's going to be the promised child, but God's going to take care of Ishmael and gives him specific promises that he's going to father 12 sons that are going to grow up to be leaders of nations. And so this promise is given to Abraham. Unless we wonder and question whether it gets fulfilled, I think Moses includes this text, this section here for us so that we see God's fulfillment. It says in Genesis 25, 16, these are the sons of Ishmael. These are their names by their villages and by their encampments. Twelve princes according to their tribes. So God shows great favor to Abraham's offspring, not just Isaac, but the other boys as well. Shows that his promises are being kept, not just to Isaac, but to all of Abraham's offspring. Um, God has been faithful to his word and Abraham's name will live on through these descendants. And so God has been very faithful at at an old age when Abraham felt like I'm not going to have anybody to inherit my stuff. God has blessed him greatly, not just with one son, but with multiple sons and multiple sons who will grow up and have nations that come from them. Abraham's name will live on through these people. Secondly, Abraham's faith is seen in the investment that he makes. Abraham's faith is seen in the investment that he makes. Abraham takes care of all of his sons by giving them gifts and then sending them away to start their lives. It says um, in, at the end of verse 4 of Genesis 25, all these were the children of Keturah. Abraham gave all he had to Isaac, but to the sons of his concubines, Abraham gave gifts. And while he was still living, he sent them away from his son Isaac eastward to the east country so these are children that have grown up that are fully capable of taking care of themselves and in order to preserve isaac in order to set isaac up for success abraham goes to great care to make sure that these individuals are sent away that there's no discrepancy as to who inherits abraham's uh, stuff who inherits the promises of god directly to this promised line. There's no question about it. Abraham takes care to send these boys away, send his other sons away, gives them things to start off their lives, make sure that they're provided for. But he wants to demonstrate his faith by showing that he believes Isaac to be that promised son. Everything that matters is given to Isaac. There's no wavering regarding the promised child. He distributes property in a way to ensure Isaac's success. And so um, Moses includes that here for us to see that Abraham once again has the promises fulfilled of many sons, many nations, but ultimately that one son, Isaac, being the fulfillment of what's to come eventually, that being Christ. Okay? Number three in your notes, Abraham's faith is seen through his death and burial. Abraham's faith is seen through his death 
and burial. It says, these are the days of the years of Abraham's life, 175 years. Abraham breathed his last and died in a good old age. An old man and full of years and was gathered to his people. Several different things going on there. First of all, we see another promise being kept. Oh, I forgot to include that. Um, the promise being kept for in your notes there. Um, Abraham dies in a good old age and full of years. Abraham dies in a good old age and full of years. You'll remember back in Genesis 15, verse 15, God made this promise to Abraham. We'll start in verse 12. As the sun was going down, a deep sleep fell on Abram. And behold, dreadful and great darkness fell upon him. Then the Lord said to Abram, know for certain that your offspring will be sojourners in a land that is not theirs and will be servants there and they will be afflicted for 400 years. But I will bring judgment on the nation that they serve and afterward they shall come out with great possessions. As for you, you shall go to your fathers in peace. You shall be buried in a good old age and they shall come back here in the fourth generation for the iniquity of the Amorites is not yet complete. You remember we talked about God including Abraham and his plans, demonstrating to him that his his uh, descendants were going to have to go through a time of difficulty in Egypt. They were going to be in persecution and slavery there. They were going to come out. They were going to come back to the land that God wasn't giving the land to Abraham yet because the Amorites' sin had not been uh, made full yet. In that promise, God says, even though you're not going to inherit the land, you're going to die in a good old age. You're going to die at peace. And so we see that fulfillment here in Genesis 25. Again, I think Moses is including all of this so we can see God's faithfulness, that there's no doubt promises made to Abraham are promises being kept by God. Um, Ecclesiastes chapter 12, if you have your Bibles, I want you to turn there because we're going to look at this whole chapter. Ecclesiastes chapter 12, I was struck by the idea of a good old age and um, what that means and what that looks like to to die at a point where you're old and satisfied seems to be the idea here that uh, Abraham has has experienced life. He's experienced to its fullest. He's experienced God's great promises and goodness, and he dies in a good old age. And I think that uh, Solomon gives us insight into how to to be that type of person as well. If God blesses us with uh, the same type of years where we grow to be old, how do we die in a good old age as well? And I think Solomon gives us some insight there in Ecclesiastes chapter 12. We'll start reading in verse 1. It says, remember also your creator in the days of your youth before the evil days come and the years draw near of which you will say, I have no pleasure in them. Before the sun and the light and the moon and the stars are darkened and the clouds return after the rain and the day when the keepers of the house tremble and the strong men are bent and the grinders cease because they are few and those who look through the windows are dimmed and the doors on the street are shut. When the sound of the grinding is low and one rises up at the sound of a bird and all the daughters of song are brought low, they are afraid also of what is high and terrors are in the way. The almond tree blossoms, the grasshopper, the grasshopper drags itself along and desire fails because man is going to his eternal home and the mourners go about the streets before the silver cord is snapped or the golden bowl is broken or the pitcher is shattered at the fountain or the wheel broken at the cistern. And the dust returns to the earth as it was, and the spirit returns to God who gave it. Vanity of vanity, says the preacher, all is vanity. Solomon is talking about this end of life scenario where we get to the end. We know it's the end. We see our bodies breaking down. We see everything kind of uh, 
coming to an end around us, Solomon says in order to get to that point where it's a good situation, where we are satisfied with our life, it starts with remembering our creator in the days of our youth before those days come. It says in verse 9, Besides being wise, the preacher also taught the people knowledge, weighing and studying and arranging many proverbs with great care. The preacher sought to find words of delight, and uprightly he wrote words of truth. The words of the wise are like goads, and like nails firmly fixed are the collected sayings. They are given by one shepherd. My son, beware of anything beyond these. Of making many books there is no end, and much study is a weariness of the flesh. Verse 13, The end of the matter, all has been heard. Fear God and keep his commandments. For this is the whole duty of man. For God will bring every deed into judgment with every secret thing, whether good or evil. What's going on here is is Solomon drawing to our attention that the way we get to the end of our life in a way that we're satisfied with what has happened is that it starts with how we handle our youth. That we have to remember the creator in the days of our youth. That we have to keep God's commandments, that we have to fear him, that we have to make good choices and decisions that lead to the end of our life to where we can look back and say that we are satisfied with what we've been able to accomplish through God's Holy Spirit. Um, there's a couple of passages here that, that call us to number our days. So uh, Moses kind of numbers, um, Mo, or Moses numbers Abraham's days in Genesis chapter 25. There's other passages that command us to do the same. It says in Psalm Chapter 39, verse 4. Psalm chapter 39, verse 4. This is a psalm of David. It says, O Lord, make me know my end, and what is the measure of my days. Let me know how fleeting I am. David talks about the, the shortness of life. In Psalm chapter 90, verse 12. Psalm chapter 90, verse 12. It says, So teach us to number our days that we may get a heart of wisdom. In my notes, I put, we ought to number our days personally since God has already numbered them for us. In Psalm chapter 139, we're told to number our days. And then in Psalm 139, we're told that God has numbered them for us as well. In Psalm 139, 16, your eyes saw my unformed substance. In your book were written every one of them, the days that were formed for me. When as yet there was none of them. The psalmist talking about how God knows our life, knows the, the length of our life, knows the days of our life. And so even in the death of Abraham, the comfort is, is that there's God's providence all over that. That God calls Abraham home at the right time, at the time that he had destined to do so. Um, and that all of us have our days numbered as well. And we need to maximize our days for his glory, however long they may be. Um, and so it starts with remembering the creator in the days of our youth, fearing God, keeping his commandments forever, for however long God has us here on this earth. We ought to stay faithful in our old age as we see life coming to an end. So for those that God does bless to live a long life, uh, Abraham lives 175 years. None of us are going to live that long. Um, and I, and I'm, I was thinking as I was studying, what a what a crazy concept for Abraham. You know, for us, we're thinking, wow, what a, what a long life for him. But he's in that transitional period where people were living uh, hundreds and hundreds of years. And then that life expectancy is dropping off. And so he sees Shem live for hundreds of years and then die potentially 20 years before Sarah or before he does. Um, now he's living to be 175 years. And he's in that stage where he's seeing the life expectancy changing. 175 years is now old for them. Um, but it wasn't that old uh, not too long ago. But in the 
um, in the case that many of us will live to be old, the Bible has some things to say about how we should live in light of that old age in Second Corinthians chapter four. Verse 16. So we do not lose heart, though our outer self is wasting away. Our inner self is being renewed day by day. For this light momentary affliction is preparing us for an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. As we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient, but the things that are unseen are eternal. And you move into Second Corinthians chapter five, it says, for we know that if the tent that is our earthly home is destroyed, we have a building from God, a house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. For in this tent, we groan, longing to put on our heavenly dwelling. If indeed by putting it on, we may not be found naked. For while we are still in this tent, we groan being burdened, not that we would be unclothed, but that we would be further clothed so that what is mortal may be swallowed up by life. He who has prepared us for this very thing is God, who has given us the spirit as a guarantee. So Paul in this passage is is talking about the encouragement that we need to hang on to, that as we see our bodies breaking down, as we see our bodies deteriorating, we have that hope and comfort of life that is to come. And so we stay faithful even as our bodies are breaking down. In Psalm chapter 92, another passage that talks about uh, serving faithfully in our old age. Psalm chapter 92 Verse 12. It says, The righteous flourish like the palm tree and grow like a cedar in Lebanon. They are planted in the house of the Lord. They flourish in the courts of our God. They still bear fruit in old age. They are ever full of sap and green to declare that the Lord is upright. He is my rock and there is no unrighteousness in him. It's a cool picture there to see the The tree in its old age, still bearing fruit, still full of sap, still green, still bearing fruit. And so the call there is that however old we end up living to be, that we're called to yield fruit until God calls us home. And and Abraham, I think, does that faithfully. He does that until the very end. Uh, One of the questions that I wrote in my notes that one of the commentators asked is, will in your old age, uh, will it result in you looking back with regret, ahead with fear, and around with complaint? Will your old age result in you looking back with regret, looking ahead with fear, and looking around with complaint? And so thinking back to what Solomon says in Ecclesiastes, that remembering the creator in the days of our youth, making the right decisions now, leads to a satisfied life um, in the end. Abraham dies in peace and is buried with Sarah. So going back to our text in Genesis chapter 25. It says, these are the days of the years of Abraham's life, 175 years. Abraham breathed his last and died in a good old age, an old man and full of years, and was gathered to his people. Isaac and Ishmael, his sons, buried him in the cave of Machpelah, in the field of Ephron, the son of Zohar, the Hittite, east of Mamre, the field that Abraham purchased from the Hittites. There Abraham was buried with Sarah, his wife. He dies in peace. He's buried with his wife, and it's a picture of completeness and satisfaction. The reminder to us here, though, is that while his body dies, Abraham continues to live. Notice that it says that he was gathered to his people. Moses giving that indication here that life continues for Abraham, even though his body has died, even though his life here on earth has ended, that his existence continues, which is a great hope to us to see that this truth of uh, the afterlife is um, rooted in the Old Testament. 
um, Abraham continues to live. Um, He's gathered to his people. In Matthew chapter 22, Jesus draws upon this truth as he's talking to individuals who don't believe in a resurrection. You'll remember the Sadducees were individuals that uh, did not believe in the resurrection of the body. Um, It says in Matthew chapter 22, verse 31, As for the resurrection of the dead, have you not read what was said to you by God? I am the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. He is not God of the dead, but of the living. And when the crowd heard it, they were astonished at his teaching. And so Jesus alluding to the fact that Abraham continues to live even in the midst of his death. So the truth there is that Abraham is awaiting the day that his dust of a body lives again at the sound of the last trumpet. That truth found in 1 Thessalonians 4. When Jesus comes back and when that trumpet sounds, those that have died, their bodies will be raised um, to life. So great hope extended there um, as we see Abraham being gathered to his people. And then number four, God continues his plan after Abraham's death. God continues his plan after Abraham's death. The promise being kept here is that God's continued plan to bless the world will now run through Isaac. I think I have that. Nope. God's continued plan to bless the world will now run through Isaac. And so we see that transitional step here in Genesis chapter 25. The emphasis being placed on Isaac now assuming the role as the promised son. God's continued plan to bless the world will now run through Isaac. Uh, Believers must ensure that the blessing of God passes to the next generation. I mean, I think Abraham does that so effectively. We see Isaac assume the reins of being uh, the leader of God's people now. He's had that faith ingrained in him by watching his father. You'll remember that God had this perspective about Abraham teaching his son in Genesis chapter 18, verse 19. This is right before the incident with Sodom and Gomorrah. God talking, he says, for I have chosen him, talking about Abraham, that he may command his children and his household after him to keep the way of the Lord by doing righteousness and justice so that the Lord may bring to Abraham what he has promised to him. So this idea that for Abraham to really experience all the promises, it necessitates him teaching his children so they can remain faithful and inherit those promises. God told Abraham to do this, and Abraham does it, I believe, effectively. In Psalm chapter 78, we have the same responsibility to pass on God's promises to the next generation so that God's plans continue. In Psalm chapter 78, verse 5, He established a testimony in Jacob and appointed a law in Israel, which he commanded our fathers to teach their children. Why? That the next generation might know them, the children yet unborn, and arise and tell them to their children, so that they should set their hope in God and not forget the works of God, but keep his commandments, and that they should not be like their fathers, a stubborn and rebellious generation, a generation whose heart was not steadfast, whose spirit was not faithful to God. So this idea that we're to pass on the promises that we cling to to the next generation. Even though faithful believers die, God's program continues. And I think that's, a, that's an encouragement to us. This is a, a huge loss when it comes to an earthly standpoint for God's people. Abraham dies. Abraham, the recipient of God's promises, is now gone. Um, and, and what we see is that God continues to work here on this earth, right? Um, it'll be crazy as we start to see some of the, uh, maybe the the famous major pastors that are starting to age and starting to 
uh, to break down, their bodies are starting to wither. To see individuals like John Piper and John MacArthur and others that'll perish and 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 die, perish from a physical standpoint. Obviously, they'll go on to their fathers and be gathered in heaven with Christ. But what's encouraging is that as these big heroes of the faith fall, um, as their bodies are subjected to sin, God continues to move and work. Um, so Abraham leaves this earth, but God continues to be just as faithful to his son Isaac. Um, it's an encouragement to us that even as we see uh, big heroes of the faith die here on this earth, God continues to work um, and to move. So that's kind of the, the the big thrust of the text, I think, in Genesis chapter 25. There's not a lot there um, that I wanted to hit on and focus on today, but I did want to point out everything that's written there really ties into promises that were already made. And so Moses seems to be and Moses seems to be wrapping up Abraham's life by reminding us and emphasizing us before he moves ahead. Here's promises that God made and promises that were kept by God. He promised to give Abraham descendants. He gave him Isaac. He gave him Ishmael. He gave him sons from another wife. All these sons grow up to have nations, nations that were promised to Abraham. Um, And he blessed Ishmael specifically by giving him the 12 sons that were promised. Abraham dies in a good old age, just as God promised that he would. Isaac is the heir, just as God promised he would be. Um, And so a lot of promises that were made and a lot of promises being kept. So as we close this section, I wanted to kind of focus in on the legacy of Abraham, the legacy of Abraham, things that we should take away as we move to studying Isaac next, the legacy of Abraham. First of all, he's a man of faith, a man of faith. And we turn our attention to Romans chapter four. So I just want to hit a couple of main passages in the new Testament that, that talk about the legacy of Abraham in Romans chapter four. What we find here is that Abraham's faith becomes the reference point to understanding salvation. Um, Abraham is is pulled from the Old Testament by Paul and set up as an example for us to understand our own salvation and how our salvation works. So if you have your Bibles, turn to Romans chapter 4 with me. Romans chapter 4. This is an important chapter in understanding our salvation. We've looked at this... um, when we were going through the book of Romans, but in Romans chapter four, verse one, it says, what then shall we say was gained by Abraham, our forefather, according to the flesh? For if Abraham was justified by works, he has something to boast about, but not before God. For what does the scripture say? Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness. Now to the one who works, his wages are not counted as a gift, but as uh, his due. And to the one who does not work, but believes in him who justifies the ungodly, His faith is counted as righteousness, just as David also speaks of the blessing of the one to whom God counts righteousness apart from works. So Romans chapter four is set up as a um, as a passage that helps us understand our own salvation in verse 13 of Romans four for the promise to Abraham and his offspring that he would be heir of the world did not come through the law, but through the righteousness of faith. For it is the adherents of the law who are to be the heirs. Faith is null and promise is void. For the law brings wrath. But where there is no law, there is no transgression. I was thinking about the fact that that Abraham is viewed as a man of faith and he's set up as a man of faith. You'll remember in the Garden of Eden where everything goes wrong is when Adam and Eve stop believing that God is good. And so we started off today going back to James chapter 117. God is good. He gives good gifts. When we believe that, it shapes the way that we live. Adam and Eve deviate from that. They believe Satan's lies that God is not good. They are not individuals expressing faith in God. And so their actions 
are, are, are leading them into disobedience. And so Abraham is really that bringing back to the Garden of Eden perspective where he's now that individual who's demonstrating what it looks like to trust in God's goodness. Every step of the way we see Abraham expressing faith in God. And even when he falters in his faith, we see him coming right back and returning in repentance. And so Abraham's set up as a picture of faith for us. He's a man of faith, um, and he's set up as an example for how our salvation works. But he's not just a man of faith. Secondly, he's a man of works. He's a man of works. So while Romans 4 talks about him being counted righteous based on his belief, you'll remember Romans 4 is quoting from Genesis chapter 15. This is before Abraham offers Isaac as a sacrifice. But in James chapter 2, James pulls from the sacrifice of Isaac and uses it to show Abraham's salvation. In James chapter 2, verse 18. But someone will say, you have faith... And I have works. Show me your faith apart from your works, and I will show you my faith by my works. You believe that God is one, you do well. Even the demons believe and shudder. Do you want to be shown, you foolish person, that faith apart from works is useless? Was not Abraham our father justified by works when he offered up his son Isaac on the altar? You see that faith was active along with his works, and faith was completed by his works. And the scripture was fulfilled that says... Abraham believed God, and it was counted to him as righteousness, and he was called a friend of God. You see that a person is justified by works and not by faith alone. The idea here being that as we express our faith, if our faith is genuine and true, then it shows itself through the works in our life. And so Abraham is not just viewed as a man who believed in God. He's a man who believed in God, showed that belief through the things that he does, he responds to God's commands, and he keeps those commands, and he obeys God's commands in his life. And then lastly, when we consider the legacy of Abraham, we see a man of faithfulness. Not just a man of faith, but a man who perseveres in his faith and remains faithful to the very end. In Hebrews chapter 11, verse 8, Abraham gets the the largest portion of Hebrews 11 devoted to him. So Hebrews 11 has a bunch of different people expressing their faith. Abraham gets the big chunk devoted to him. And what we find is that his faith never wavered as he kept his eyes focused on eternity. So Hebrews chapter 11, verse 8, I want to read this. It says, By faith Abraham obeyed when he was called to go out to a place that he was to receive as an inheritance. And he went out not knowing where he was going, by faith, he went to live in the land of promise as in a foreign land, living in tents with Isaac and Jacob, heirs with him of the same promise. For he was looking forward to the city that has foundations, whose designer and builder is God. By faith, Sarah herself received power to conceive, even when she was past the age, since she considered him faithful who had promised. Therefore, from one man and him as good as dead were born descendants as many as the stars of heaven and as many as the innumerable grains of sand by the seashore. These all died in faith, not having received the things promised, but having seen them and greeted them from afar and having acknowledged that they were strangers and exiles on the earth. For people who speak thus make it clear they are seeking a homeland. If they had been thinking of that land from which they had gone out, they would have had the opportunity to return. But as it is, they desire a better country that is a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared for them a city. 
Verse 17, by faith, Abraham, when he was tested, offered up Isaac. And he who had received the promises was in the act of offering up his only son, of whom it was said, through Isaac shall your offspring be named. He considered that God was able even to raise him from the dead, from which, figuratively speaking, he did receive him back. Abraham keeps his eyes on on Christ, never wavers in his faith. Um, He keeps his eyes focused on eternity. And so the concluding point that I want to leave us with today as we wrap up the the account of Abraham. The conclusion is that by looking to Abraham, we understand better what it means to find salvation in Christ. By looking to Abraham, we understand better what it means to find salvation in Christ. In Galatians chapter 3, For all who rely on works of the law are under a curse, for it is written, Cursed be everyone who does not abide by all things written in the book of the law and do them. Now it is evident that no one is justified before God by the law, for the righteous shall live by faith. But the law is not of faith, rather than uh, rather the one who does them shall live by them. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, Cursed is everyone who is hanged on a tree, so that in Christ Jesus the blessing of Abraham might come to the Gentiles so that we might receive the promised spirit through faith. It says in verse 29, If you are Christ, then you are Abraham's offspring, heirs according to promise. We'll get into um, some more application next week when we kind of look at the, the whole scope of Abraham's life. And so really what I wanted to leave you with today as we wrap up his life in the text. Um, I hope that as we move away from this, anytime you encounter Abraham in your own readings, um, that you'll be reminded of the importance of who he is in that he points us to Christ. He points us to understanding salvation. I think we even started off talking about how um, Abraham ought to be a point of reference for us, even when we're sharing the gospel with somebody. Uh, When we try to communicate gospel truths to people that seemingly aren't understanding or aren't grasping how salvation works and and what that looks like, Abraham is is the, the, uh, the character, the figure that's been given to us um, and so I would encourage you to to not just kind of check out and be done with Abraham now that we move on uh, further into Genesis, that you continue to come back to Abraham, um, that you use him as a point of reference in sharing the gospel with other people because he's, he's that perfect uh, example for us of what it means to come to faith in Christ, to experience highs and lows in his life, to, uh, to experience sin in his life, and to express repentance. He's that individual who is asked to do tough things and to give up things that are precious to him. Um, And he demonstrates a belief in a greater promise than the things that this world has to offer. And so um, I I want to to leave you with that thought that Abraham um, is an individual who helps us understand better what it means to come to Christ. And so I hope that as you continue to read and study on your own, Abraham's going to show up at uh, multiple different places in Scripture. Um, that you're reminded of some of the things that we've talked about in the past several months with Abraham, um, and that you use that as a, as a point of reference again moving forward, that you're always coming back to Abraham as that example to others about what it means to come to Christ. So going back to our summary sentence for today, Abraham dies satisfied in the promises of God, and I hope that all of us get to, to experience what Abraham did to live to a, um, a good old age and to die um, old to die in a satisfied state of being able to live life um, in the same way that Abraham did, 
Um, If not, though, I think the encouragement still stands to all of us that we number our days, that we take our days seriously, that we see every day as a blessing from God, and we use it for maximum glory. If we do that, if we die young, we still die satisfied, right? We die knowing that we have done everything that God has called us to do, approaching every single day that way. If we live to be old, then we certainly get old and look back and say, a life full, a life satisfied that I used every single day for God's glory. A believer dies satisfied in the promises of God when he's lived a life of faith. And Abraham certainly is that example for us. But it wasn't just a life of claiming to believe things. It was a life demonstrated by works. And then I think what really stands out to me is that he intentionally sought to pass on this faith to the next generation to ensure that God's plan will continue in his absence. And so even though for a lot of us, the idea of, of, of having to pass on something because we're not going to be here forever seems so far, so far and so foreign to us because at the age we're at right now, we're not thinking about leaving this earth. We feel like we've still got many years ahead of us. Um, but I want to encourage you that we do have that responsibility to pass on the truths that we hold to to that next generation so that when we aren't here, God's plan continues. Um, that's the way that God has designed for it to be. All right, let's pray together. Father, we praise you and thank you so much for Abraham's life. I know that I've gleaned so much in my own life as I've learned more about my faith and what you desire for me in studying his life. We thank you that ultimately Abraham points us to Christ. Um, And so, God, I'm thankful this morning that uh, we can celebrate our salvation being based not on our performance, not on our good works, um, that you have ultimately... Uh, planned salvation in such a way where Christ has come to do everything for us. Um, And we're thankful that ultimately salvation is about us believing in the things that you've told us. And we're thankful that you've started that, that redeeming process of bringing us back to that Garden of Eden mentality where you have put us in relationship with you and you've asked us to believe you and to trust you and to trust in your goodness. And we see glimpses of that in abraham's life even though he is he's not a perfect individual he even though he is still subjected to sin god we see what's ultimately coming that when jesus returns and makes all things new that we will be restored to that rightful place where we can be in relationship with you always trusting you always believing you and so father i pray that abraham would stand in um, in our hearts as an example of what you desire for us to be individuals who are looking to a heavenly country and not building our kingdoms here on this earth. Um, Father, I pray that we would see Abraham in the example that he sets of of belief in you and your goodness. Um, Father, I pray that you'd protect us from a performance-based mentality. Um, I know that that can cause such an emotional uh, disconnect as we uh, worry about whether we're doing enough to, to be loved by you or we worry about whether or not the, a certain action in our life has caused you to change your mind about us. Um, Father, I pray that we would see that ultimately our salvation is based upon Christ and his work and that we're called to believe you and your goodness. Um, and Father, I pray that we'd be faithful to pass that on to other people, that you would uh, continue to instill in us a mindset of discipleship where we would call other people to follow Christ as, as we follow Christ um, and to, to watch us as we seek to model that for other people. Um, Father, again, we praise you and thank you uh, for what you've taught us about um, our own salvation by looking to Abraham. I pray that you would continue to teach us through your book. Um, And Father, as we have opportunities to study scripture on our own and we come across Abraham again, I pray that the things that we have learned, you would draw again to our attention as you've promised the Holy Spirit does. 
He's one who reminds us of the things that have been taught in the past. And so, God, I pray that you would continue to remind us in our own life um, about what faith means and what faith that truly believes in you leads to um, a life of works and a life of faithfulness. And uh, so, Father, we praise you and thank you for that example. And we ask that you would continue to sanctify us. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Sovereign Hope Church podcast. We trust that you've been encouraged by the word. For more information about our church, please visit our website at www.sovhope.org. Again, that's www.sovhope.org. Thank you.